Harpy Hour may contain explicit language, as well as graphic, violent, and sexual content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Harpy Hour. Harpy Hour. Episode five. We're a whole hand old. Whoa. We are your harpies. I'm Tracy. I'm Liz. I'm Steph. And this is our podcast where we share ridiculous stories in history, science, and entertainment. Just literally anything that we want to talk about. Whatever and the fuck you're going to enjoy to it. talk about. You're going to enjoy it if it's the last thing you do. Oh, well, I hope it's not. I mean, I hope it's not because that would make me feel guilty for saying that. For telling them to enjoy it? No, for telling them that it could be the last thing they do. Oh, I missed that part. That's dark. Don't do that. Okay, well, <laughs> you know, there are worse things you could be Let's doing. Let's not talk about our listeners' death. <laughs> so how was everyone's week? You know, I had a mishap this week. This was the first week that I tried meal prepping. And <laughs> my meal prep, first of all, I was a champion putting together all of my salads and the fruits that I was going to eat in the morning. I just feel like salads aren't something you meal prep. There's so little effort to begin with. No, you have to like cut things and you have to assemble. I meal prep a salad to an extent. Yeah. Like I'll chop everything and put it in individual containers and like the morning of toss it all together. Yeah. So then you can just grab it and like get on with your life. Yeah. Well, how did that go for you, Tracy? I feel like we, before we move on to that, we should also acknowledge that Tracy used to say for never have I ever, never have I ever finished a salad. At 30 whatever years old, she had never eaten a salad until like a month ago. She has grown so much at this point. Yes. I think we should celebrate this accomplishment that Tracy now eats salad. She used to survive on chicken nuggets and mac and cheese. And she still does, I'm sure. That's still my preferred mode of survival, but... But now there's vegetables. Yeah, so I'm trying to incorporate vegetable fruits and vegetables. So I meal prepped all this stuff and I put it all together and my genius boyfriend, Craig, watching me do this, and I cannot emphasize enough that he was supervising this when he said this because we can't take blame ourselves we have to find somebody else to put the blame on i mean i'm just saying i am an infant uh salad eater yeah tracy's like three days old in salad years yes so craig has been eating salad his whole life and as he watched this happen says to me you know meal preppers usually recommend freezing like Thursday and Friday's meals to keep them fresh. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, if meal preppers do it, then I'm a meal prepper now. That's what I should do. And so I did. And my salad was the worst thing ever on Thursday. And it was so sad. Tracy froze her salad. <laughs> it was so sad. And I'm never, salad. I'm never listening to Craig again. First, I would not put it past him. If he was just fucking with you to see if you would do I mean, it. he might have been, but you don't sabotage someone on during the first week of their new healthy <laughs> life. But also, like, I meal prep and I don't freeze 
two days of it unless it's going to well, be more maybe, than like a week. Maybe you're not a real meal prepper. I don't know. Craig just recommended it to me as he watched me put it together. I think it really depends on what the food is. That like sometimes it's reasonable to freeze it. I mean, yeah, if it's like shrimp or something. But it's not like he didn't know. Like he watched me meal prep a salad and said it to me as I was meal prepping the salad. So it's not like he thought I was making, you know, some warm meal that needed to be frozen. It had to have been just absolute mush. It was it it was awful. And I really tried to choke it down and couldn't really do it. You you didn't you didn't microwave it, did you? No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I did add more spinach and the alive spinach tried to like absorb (laughs) everything else. That probably just made the live spinach extra dead spinach. It's like soaking in the what do you mean absorbing? It was like well when she thawed it, it must have been like a lot of like water, liquid. just like liquid. Yeah, in the it salad. was miserable. That sounds like salad soup. She put in fresh spinach, and then it was just it was absorbing it was all that horrible, extra liquid. You guys. It's it a was really wet, soggy salad. It was. I can confidently say it was the worst salad of my life, and this is why I don't like salad. So. We're trying again today. Today is Sunday. I am going to meal prep. And uh, if something happens to my salad this week, then, you know, it's not meant to be. <laughs> so give it two weeks. Was, and if it fails, then back yeah. to chicken nuggets. I mean, I'm just saying chicken nuggets have never let me down. Guys, I got <laughs> mac and cheese this week that's made with chickpea pasta. I haven't had the courage to actually make it yet i don't know how i feel about that emotionally it looks good and the internet says that it is good does it look like like is it supposed to taste like mac and cheese or is it a variation no i mean it's like it's the pasta is made with chickpea so it's just like an alternate version of pasta and then the sauce the cheese itself is still the same Okay. Or and by the same I mean like it's its own version. It's not like it's a craft mac and cheese sauce. I mean, I would try pasta. that. I would try it. It's like slightly healthier. Yeah, bit. it's less carbs and more protein. And no gluten for people who need that kind of diet. <laughs> I'm proud of you too. <laughs> Mine is just all talk. I haven't eaten it yet. It's just <laughs> sitting in my cabinet and I see I it every mean, time I open it. I made an effort. And I feel like I should be acknowledged for that. So congratulations. I think yesterday Stacey. I was at a barbecue with work people and some people were talking about like, oh, like my New Year's resolution is I'm only going to eat red meat like once Your a New week. New Year's resolution? Like, New-, New Year's resolution. What did I say? Oh, revolution. I, revolution. Oh. I heard it too. Go ahead. Oh, well, that, that too. People were saying that they were like, I'm going to eat red meat like once a month or like... I'm trying to incorporate more veggies and I'm like, I'm on that diet where I eat whatever the fuck I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been on that diet for 32 years. So we're still living. Listen, I work out. I'm healthy. Everyone dies. And the people who eat salad consistently never really live. So <laughs> <laughs> our apologies to all of our vegan and vegetarian listeners. I mean, fine, but... Uh, Anyway, shall we get to it? I I guess. Tracy, what are you harping on this week besides frozen salad? 
I mean, I feel like I just did a whole segment right now, but <laughs> <laughs> this week I will be harping on, and I'm really proud of this, you guys. Nopeuals. <laughs> Nopeuals? Uh-huh. Nope, like, no thank you. And nuptials, like, nuptials. And <laughs> I feel like it's less funny when you have to explain it. I know. Well, Liz made it not funny, so... Well, I didn't get it either. Well, I didn't really hear it well. Nope, shules. Nope, shules. <laughs> that's... Yeah, that's great. I'm really clever, you guys. <laughs> Liz, what are you going to be harping on this week? The salad's gotten to her head. Uh, it's making me lightheaded. Well, I'm not really like harping, harping because I don't have anything negative to say. More just sharing a story that I think is really interesting. Well, isn't that what we're doing? Isn't that the whole point of the podcast? You really misunderstood the assignment. In the description, there is nowhere that it says it has to be negative. Okay, well, I feel like that's implied with the harping. Regardless, <laughs> what are you harping on? All right, my segment is called A Deep Ocean of Secrets. Oh, like Gretchen Wieners? What? What? Like Gretchen Wiener's hair, it's full of secrets. <laughs> <laughs> it's similar to that. Nope. Oh. All right, so Steph, tease me. Ooh. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> that that caught me off guard. <laughs> me too. Yes. Especially because I am going to be talking about premature performers. Oh. <laughs> well, don't Maybe. tease me too hard. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds dangerous. Don't do that. Uh, oh, my. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, my segment is called Nopetuals, and it's all about terrible proposals. And I'm really excited about it. And my mother yelled at me this morning because I was talking to her. And I'm like, oh, we have this recording session today. And she's like, well, what's your topic? And I'm like, terrible proposals. And she goes, Tracy, no proposal is terrible if everyone is happy. And she says yes and blah, blah, blah. And well, I'm like, not every proposal ends in a happy answer. Additionally, these are bad proposals that I... I'm like, mom, some are categorically terrible, and I will share them with you later in my segment. Are you worried about jinxing yourself, Tracy? I mean, no, because Craig has already, Craig told me this morning about a troll proposal that he thought of today, where he dresses up like Anakin Skywalker when we're going to go see the Star Wars movie in IMAX. And I like have to sit next to him the whole movie. And then after the movie, when everyone is angry about all the plot holes that apparently are there, um, he stands up and proposes, but asks me, will you join the dark side with me? And I either have, yeah, and I either have to say yes to that or no to marriage. And so, so, I mean, my expectations are pretty low at this point for how this is going to go. Pretty elaborate. Yeah. When are you seeing the movie together? We don't have tickets yet, so no. we, we're doing it this month, um, but we don't have the tickets. We don't have a date yet. I would love if he actually went and did that anyway. Yeah. What would you choose? 
I think what's on my side is that he's not going to spend money on an Anakin Skywalker costume. I feel like there's a lot of money that goes into a proposal to begin with, primarily the ring, that at that point, <laughs> what more is an Anakin Skywalker? Like, if you spend an extra, like, 50 bucks on an Anakin Skywalker costume from Amazon. It's a cloak. He knows that I would hate that. So, and that is exactly why he would do it. I was going to say, I feel like he would do that intentionally. I know, because he's the worst. He is. So anyway, I know it's going to be a troll. So we'll see how it goes. At least it'll be a good story. Whatever. Anyway, so a proposal is typically defined as an offer of marriage. What? You, I know. It's for <laughs> all sorry, of you, you at home. Can you break that down a little bit further? I'm not following. It's usually when the dude goes down on one knee with an engagement ring. Traditionally, that is what happens. Now. Aww. I know. There's even a movie from 2015 called How Not to Propose. It has 4.3 stars out of 10 on IMDb. I've never heard of that, nor have I. Yeah, it's not great. There's nobody, there's nobody in it you would know. <laughs> They're like rando people. It's not great. Was this in theaters? Not that I could see. <laughs> All right. How Not to Propose. So... Uh, according to a gentleman's guide and engagement experts, here's what they suggest you not do. Mm -hmm. Here's what they suggest you not do when you're proposing. Don't propose too early in the relationship. I mean, duh. All right. To each their own. Well, too early is relative. Yeah. Yeah. Like what's too early for me may not be too early for someone else, but like, however you feel it's is too early like don't propose then without a ring which i agree with wholeheartedly propose with a fucking ring dude immediately after she tells you she's pregnant (laughs) (laughs) i'm like yeah yeah that's not setting you up great there Um, at a tourist attraction. So, like, the people who do it in the Eiffel Tower. I think that one is... If that has, like, if the attraction has, like, meaning or significance to you, I think that's fair. Yeah, that's that's probably the one here. Well, there's there are two here that I'm like... I'm picturing the Jumbotron, where it's, like, on display. That's, like, a sporting event. That's, like, a public sporting event. It's a similar idea, though. It's in public at a big event except that one's even more on display though i remember when um when i went to the eiffel tower a few years ago the person i was with was like oh how many proposals do you think we're gonna see while we're sitting here on this lawn and i'm like Mm -hmm. i don't know like that sounds kind of um cliche and then like you know 10 minutes later we witnessed a proposal i'm like all right (laughs) (laughs) yeah and everyone was cheering and, and like clapping and everything i'm like this is hokey and cheesy I guess if that's your speed, fine. Uh, That one is, like, not as obvious, I don't think. In front of her family. Now, I don't... Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, personally, I would not want that. That can be dicey. I think it's a risk. I think it's a calculated risk. I feel like that depends on that person's family dynamics. Like, right, if you're course. really close with their family, also if you've discussed it with the family. Sure. I don't know, I've told you guys before, like, my feelings on proposals. Like, I feel like... It shouldn't be a complete surprise. There should no. be a, some sort of preliminary discussion. Right. No, there should be a discussion well beforehand. There should be a discussion beforehand of, like, 
we're doing this, we're going to get engaged. To me, I don't even know if I want like a proposal. Like I think that it should be a discussion like we're going to get married and we decide when we're going to start doing that process. So like that's what my mom just, and dad did. They didn't right. have a formal proposal. It's not like the the actual like giving of the ring and all that jazz is to me should just be a formality like it's already if you're going to do that at all. It's just right. a formality like it's already decided. So if you've already had that discussion, the family knows and you just do that formality in front of them. That's not bad. If you're popping the question and absolutely surprising her, don't do it in front of her family, but also don't do it that way in general. That's my personal feeling. Well, I know like one of my friends, she picked out her own ring. Sure. Mm -hmm. I think that's really common these days. Yeah. Yeah. And so then it was just a matter of like him presenting it to her on a special occasion. Um, And also I know people that like, I know this one couple where they got engaged in Disney World or Disneyland, and they went like with their family. Attraction, yeah. See, in front of the family, (laughs) checking all the wrong boxes. Yeah, two things right there. Uh, But yeah, he gave the ring like to the parents to carry like through the airport and everything, so that it wouldn't be on him in case like Mm. it got pulled out during like the security check and everything like that. Um, And they were there to like take the pictures of the proposal. I mean, uh, but I think at that point, that's not my speed, but okay. Like, I get I get it if that is what she wants. And that's what you've discussed. Fine. Okay. Uh, through technology, i.e. social media or texting. Okay, yeah, that is a no. Yeah. That's, that's a hard no. Yeah. Do not text me, will you marry me? What if I don't see that for six hours or something? <laughs> you know? What if I left my phone somewhere? What if I was at work? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was at work what (laughs) and then you just like what if i'm drunk what if i'm out doing something and i'm drunk and i see this message like there's so many don't do that there's so what if her response what if her response was on i like on iMessage when you can put like the emoji on the text message and she just like thumbs up the text (laughs) message oh my god guys yesterday um my sister was texting with me and I sent her like so in Hawaii we do what's called the shaka, which is you know the the thumb the and th- pinky yeah, out. Yeah, 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 kind of shake it a little. That's called the shaka. Sure. Essentially, it's like the Hawaiian like thumbs up, like yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. So she texted me something. I responded with the shaka symbol, mm-hmm. which I guess the emoji of it is kind of turned on its side. So okay. she calls me and I couldn't answer and I texted her back. Oh, I'm does like, it hey, look like up? you're doing the call sign? And she said, oh, I thought you texted me that to be like, call me. Oh, no. Huh. So emojis can be misinterpreted. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Text, emoji, all of them can be misinterpreted. Imagine if you just like your proposal was just a picture of like the ring, the diamond ring with a question mark, and like I responded with like the shaka. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you really don't want like a really like elaborate proposal, so that might be exactly how it goes for okay, you. I don't want it to be via text message. <laughs> I think that's fair. I think that's a fair parameter to set. I want an in-person discussion. An in-person discussion and plus or minus the formality of the actual proposal, but an in-person discussion where both are like, sure. are we doing this? Yeah, we're doing this. Um, in a language you don't speak. How did that get on this list? What is the story? Tell me what this, tell me what happened. Like, yeah. So there's that. 
That's or, even worse than not interpreting the emojis properly. <laughs> I agree. Um, or one of my personal favorites with the words, I won't find anyone better. <laughs> that, that never happens. Right? You're the best I can do. It's clearly happened often enough that the gentleman's guide and engagement experts felt the need to say, like, please stop doing this. I feel like so. I can see, like, an idiot guy. Yeah. Meaning it romantically, like, you're the no. best thing of my life or something kind of like that. Nope. No. But, nope. like, just totally misconstruing you're the words done. into, like, this is the best I can do. You're done. Just It could just be improper wording. I'm trying to give these guys the benefit of the doubt, because who could be that stupid? <laughs> I kind of feel like this whole thing is, or this list, like, is not based on any sort of reality. I don't think there's any evidence that anybody in the world ever said that to anybody else. Nobody's that dumb. I'm sure it's happened. I have no idea, but I really want to hear the story about it. My personal advice is you should not propose in lieu of a gift, i.e. on Christmas, That's on crazy her birthday, rules. on Valentine's Day. Like, I want a separate fucking day to celebrate our engagement anniversary. Tracy has taught these rules to her goddaughter. Yes, and she responds. What is the the little spiel that you go through, Tiffany and Co? Or it's a no. Tiffany and Co. Or the answer is no, and that's what Bella believes. And then you also told her, "I'm like, what do we do if someone proposes on Valentine's Day?" And she goes, "No." <laughs> and I'm like, "What do we do if someone proposes on Christmas?" No. <laughs> And she gets just, like, more and more angry with each one. Like, how stupid can you be? It's Valentine's Day, Christmas, birthday, anniversary. All of those, yeah. Are there um, any others? New Year's? Um, No, because New Year's, you don't get gifts for each other. Like, you just have to be prepared that if you break up, like, that's no longer a happy day for you. What if it's... In addition to another gift, like what if you get all of your regular Christmas gifts that he would have normally gotten you and then a proposal? Mm. No, I still want the separate day. Separate day to celebrate it? Yeah, I, I want... Like anniversary is okay. No? No, no. I think we should make it as easy for the guy as possible by only <laughs> giving him one date that he needs to remember and then also just get married on that date. No, there you go. I feel like no. each next event replaces the prior event. Like once you're engaged, like don't celebrate your dating anniversary. Once you're married, like yeah. don't celebrate your engagement anniversary. I feel like that's probably true. So you're focused too much on the date of the engagement when you might only celebrate that engagement date once. And then you're going to be married and you're going to have a new date. Oh, no, I'm still going to point it out. He just doesn't have to take me to dinner. <laughs> See, I'm or also thinking like or I'm not me. someone who does like I'm not the romantic type like you, like whether or not I'm seeing someone, I don't really do anything for Valentine's day. Like maybe we'll get together and make dinner together or something, but I, I don't do Valentine's gifts or like anniversaries again, are just probably more like a big date than like an, a huge gift giving occasion to me. So see, I that's why those things bother me actually, yeah. because I don't like doing anything on valentine's day if he if i was with someone that proposed to me on valentine's day i'd be like now you're making today a thing like why did you do that <laughs> we don't do valentine's day now we do valentine's day mm-hmm. that would be my interpretation of why not to do it on valentine's day because we're not those gushy people or at least i wouldn't want to be with someone who is that gushy person because that's not me 
No, see, you're going to end up with like a horribly romantic person who like <laughs> does shit for you. Well, I remember the guy that I dated in uh, the guy that I dated in 2016. Um, he was super gushy, and remember he did like a six month anniversary celebration for us too. And I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I think that's kind of the thing that just maybe is like an acknowledgement. Like, yeah, oh, look, I feel we've like we've been together six, for six months. Yeah, like, that's I, nice. I feel like six months is okay, but like he made really things very formal. Like even when he like, oh, okay, you remember like we made we had a, a long weekend trip away, and then he made like just asking me to formally be his girlfriend was like a speech. And the first time he said, I love you to me was like, he was trying to get the cable car in San Francisco to pass right when he said, like he was over the top a little bit. Gushy romantic. I like the drama. That's fine. That's not me. So like, I just couldn't help but kind of like, I didn't laugh in his face or anything, but Tracy likes the drama. Tracy likes drama. Yeah. It's true. I never like laughed in his face. Actually, I did laugh a little bit when he you did, did laugh form- at him. When he That's did the part formal, of this story, <laughs> the formal discussion of like, will you be my girlfriend? He was so like stammering and like making a big thing of it that I kind of giggled at him. But the other things that he did, I didn't laugh at him. But in my head, I'm just like, this is really gushy. I really wonder what his proposal would have been like. (laughs) Oh, his proposal would have been just so over the top. Like he would have taken you to like some mountain where he set up a picnic and like it would have been a lot. It would have been. Yeah, it would have been. And I mean, I would have appreciated it, but it's just not my speed. Like, I don't need all of that romantic gushy stuff see and i'm like you I need would, the romantic gushy stuff see but i was talking to craig you want uh, craig to write it out in fireflies like train <laughs> fireflies to write it out in the sky on like a really dark and beautiful night with all the stars out Well, because it's like you put effort into it it's like you put effort into it like i mattered enough to you that you put effort into this there will thing be like background dancers i mean a buying a 50 dollar anakin skywalker costume and tickets you know, to star wars is also <laughs> effort he'd probably make me pay for my ticket like what the hell <laughs> Babe, you want to buy popcorn? Great, go buy it. The night of your eventual proposal, we're going to go on to Venmo and we're going to see the transaction history of like Craig charging you for like half of dinner. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what's going to happen. And like, oh my God, I can't even. Um, okay, so I have three examples anecdotes from the internet my personal three favorites that i found when googling terrible proposals let's cross our fingers yours does not ever make it viral for the wrong reasons oh my god i can't i'm crossing my fingers that it does (laughs) (laughs) and this is why you're my best friend i'm gonna text craig and be like whatever you do have a videographer fuck it up well, I want a photographer. I've already told him that. He needs to, he needs to like hire a photographer that's hiding somewhere. Oh my god. Yeah. So many rules. Go on. Anyway, moving uh, on. So, I call this one when you're already on top of the world. Uh, quote, my husband proposed during a weed-induced fucking session. Oh. <laughs> I feel like you like those aren't legitimate. Like ones you're sober. Like oh, hold on. Those are wiped clean. I said yes and he never remembered afterward. We got married anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that was a trick? Like what if he didn't propose at all and then the next like right. moment of sobriety you're like, "Yeah, you proposed." Like 
we're we're getting married. We're doing this. You promised to take me ring shopping. You told me the whole budget. Again, there should be a discussion afterwards. <laughs> but like, oh, I did. Do we really want to do this? What's happening? Like, There's a debrief. I get it. This like, is a yeah, debrief. You don't just like be like, oh, I did. Okay, I guess we're doing this then. Like, well, should, clearly that's what happened. Should be with a these sober, guys. level-headed discussion of like, are we doing this? Well, it worked out for them, so they're fine. Uh, okay, are so, they? That's the whole still story together. Yeah, that's the whole story. So, when you have a few pounds to shed, is the next one. Oh, this is how my dad proposed to my mom. He said, "Quote." How much weight do you think you could lose by September? I was thinking we could have a wedding then. No. Right? Sue Sue Lucas, my mother, how can you not say that was a horrible proposal? I don't. Oh my God. Right? Well, it sounds like were they already engaged and then they just hadn't set their wedding date yet? Or was that the whole like, that was the engagement and wedding planning? Yeah, that was it. That was it. That's horrible because, A, you shouldn't be marrying that guy because he thinks you're too fat and he should think you're beautiful no matter what. And B, that's a terrible proposal. What if they were already like, what if you know that this person was already like trying to prepare to lose a lot of weight for their eventual wedding and that they were like nervous about when the date would be. And he was just asking if she would be comfortable. Even if you guys are on like a weight loss adventure together. Like, even if, like, we're like, oh, we need to get in shape and lose a little weight. Like, let's join a class together or whatever. Like, even if you're doing that, the implications shouldn't be, like, how much weight can you lose by the time I want to marry you? Yeah. It should be, like, no matter what you look like in September, we're still going to get married. So that shouldn't be even a factor in the proposal. I feel like they already discussed that they wanted to get married. And this person was like, well, what about this? Liz date? is filling in the blanks here. Liz is filling in the blanks for us. Here. She's filling in a lot of blanks here. I'm giving this person the benefit of the doubt more because than that's not the part of couple. the it shouldn't be part of the proposal, though, because it should just be like, how about we do September? And then yeah. she can figure out her own dress size situation. Like, he should want to marry her regardless of how much weight she loses in September. It sounds like it's almost like a contingency. I don't think it's like a- he wants her to lose weight. I'm just saying that it could be she already might be on a weight loss like goal. And it's, will you be at the weight you want to be at if we get married at this time? Or do you want to wait longer so that you can be like where you want to be? I'm just saying there's a lot of Either way, that's not the way to propose. Know. Proposal should not be, how's September looking for you? Should be like, do you want to marry me? Let's talk about when and where and how and etc. I think it's shitty. I agree with Tracy. Yeah, I'm not super into it. I feel like that was the interim proposal. I don't think that was the real thing. Okay. Well, I think you're giving people a lot more credit. (laughs) This is how you start that conversation before things actually happen. I think people are shittier than you're giving them credit for. There are some dumb. Listen, crazy I'm out trying there. to be. I started watching The Good Place, and I'm trying to be. <laughs> Liz is balanced and centered person. now. <laughs> so, let's see if you can give this last guy the benefit of the doubt, Elizabeth, since you're an enlightened person now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Try. This me. is called when you're out of options. Mm. Okay, so here's the girl explaining it. It had been, at that point, a two-year relationship and just a week away from Valentine's Day. He cheated on me, and I refused to sleep with him until he got tested. I didn't think he had something. He did an incurable something. He came over, told me, and I cried. I said something to the effect of, 
if I have this too, I'm ruined for anyone else. And he responded, well, if you have the STD, you want to get married? Oh, no. Oh, he got the STD from cheating on her. Yeah. An incurable one. So it's either herpes or HIV. Yeah. So. Liz, how. uh, (laughs) (laughs) How do you put your positive spin on it? (laughs) Nothing. Tell us all the redeemable qualities of this guy. Let's be diseased together for the rest of our lives. Yeah. I mean, if her concern is that. Like she can't be with anyone else and he can't be with anyone else without jeopardizing those other people. It's a moral quandary that Cheedy on the good place would have a lot of thoughts about. <laughs> I'm sure he would. <laughs> Oof. So there you go. Men are terrible. Oof. Men are terrible. Everything's trash. Thanks for coming. In the film Titanic, Elderly Rose says, A woman's heart is a deep ocean of secrets. But let's talk about how the Titanic was discovered in the actual deep ocean of nuclear Cold War secrets that were surrounding... Let's talk about it. ...the discovery. Oh, boy. So, a little bit of background. The Titanic was an unsinkable ship. You know what it is. Yes. Yes, it was. (laughs) It still sails today. In our hearts. (laughs) (laughs) And there was definitely not a movie about it. Moving on. So the Titanic was discovered in 1985. As a reminder, it sunk in 1912. Uh, Yes. If you you don't recall the event. I do. Were you there? I mean, not from (laughs) memory, but... (laughs) I recall from from history that it happened in that year. It was 85 years ago, and I can still smell the fresh paint. You're welcome. Go ahead. <laughs> so, spoiler alerts, I was Craig's Secret Santa. You were. I know. So when I... <laughs> you denied it so hard, and I'm I like, know. I know it's you, you stupid bitch. I think like- <laughs> by this point, we can deduce that. So, for listeners, a few years ago, two, three years ago, Craig used to wear a silver chain. Only to make me upset. And Tracy hated it, so she threw it into the ocean. He looked like a Jersey Guido. He looked like Jersey trash, and we hated it. He looked Jersey Guido, he did. Um, So Tracy threw it into the ocean. Off the coast of Florida. (laughs) I don't think Craig ever believed you actually did that. I know. I told him multiple times. (laughs) So when I sent him the chain as Secret Santa, I put a little, like, in the gift card options from Amazon. I wrote a little note and it said, but I thought my girlfriend dropped it into the ocean in the end. <laughs> he didn't tell me that part. <laughs> he did not tell me that part. <laughs> it was a whole thing. It was it was the whole, you know, like, oops, I did it again quote, except I put in like that part of it. It was like, well, baby, I went yeah. down and got it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised oh he didn't share that all of his gifts had his had like a little had stupid little caption with them. Did you not read any of the gifts? No. Oh, so I also gave him uh, the black thong that he put on his list as a joke. It's still like floating around our bedroom. And I put uh, in that one, I put in the lyrics to the thong song. Oh, he did <laughs> tell me that one. And then the one that was like a, an eye mask that had a unicorn he uses that. He uses that. Yeah, it has. It's black and it has like a unicorn 
and a rainbow and pizza and donuts floating in space, like as the picture on yeah. it. And I, I made a little, um, in the, in the song, uh, what is it? Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens or whatever. The, My favorite things. Yes. I made a rhyme to that like a like a four line rhyme oh that had God. all the things in there like and hot crispy bacon <laughs> <laughs> you should go find it because there's a whole poem about my favorite things if you can't find it i can find it on amazon okay but, there's oh my no God, way Evans. craig still has that so no absolutely her. not here we go uh <laughs> unicorns and glasses and hot crispy bacon Pizza and donuts and rainbows with no sun. How is he flying without any wings? These are a few of my favorite things. Oh my god. I can't. Oh. You're welcome. Oh. God I only it. got him what was on his list. Just saying. I don't know where that gold chain is. He's probably hiding silver. it. So did silver. you throw it oh. into the pond across the I did not, street from Not yet, but he's probably hiding it so that he can wear it when he proposes. <laughs> <laughs> As he should. He's the worst. I hate him. <laughs> and that is why Tracy is going to say no. Yep. Death. The proposal she's only been begging for for how long? Begging is a, begging and- is not exactly the term I would use, but it's an accurate one. Rude, Liz. Tell us about the Titanic and nuclear war. Think yes, please. So it was discovered by Bob Ballard, who is he holds many many roles, including an oceanographer at the University of Rhode Island in Narragansett. What what? Also, the Mystic Aquarium and National Geographic Society. He's an explorer in residence. Um, and he also worked for Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution and was a U.S. Navy commander. So overall, just like a slacker who did nothing with his life. Correct. Yeah. Uh, he just like couch potato type of guy. Cool. So for some more background, he joined the Army during the Vietnam War, and then he went on to graduate school and got a job building submarines. So he was mining for bauxite. To build robot birds in the Vietnam oh, War. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's what happened. <gasps> yup. That hasn't been declassified yet. <laughs> <laughs> yup. That's happening. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> on one December night in 1966, he got a knock at the door from a naval officer that handed him an envelope and said, you're not in the Army anymore. You're in the Navy now. Oh. That's how that works. Mm-hmm. Yup. Quote, that began a long career of living two different lives. Oh. So he joined the Naval Reserve. So he still worked like mostly like in his day-to-day life. He was an oceanographer, but he would sort of serve for the Navy like as needed um, in the Naval Reserve. Okay. So as an oceanographer in 1977, he made his first attempt to find the Titanic and that expedition failed. So he started working on a robotic submersible that was later named Argo. So this is like an an unmanned, just like a little robot or large robot that you lower down to the ocean floor and it takes pictures. I think I watched a documentary on this. Oh, yeah. There's there's a lot of like I feel like I did documentary type stuff. Yeah. Why did they want to find the Titanic? Like, why did they put him in the Navy to find the Titanic? No, that's not no, that's not why they put him in the navy. Oh. They okay. put him in the navy because he's he was a good at whatever he did. I don't know. 
um, these are unrelated things. Oh, okay. He is an oceanographer for like professionally. Oh, okay. And his day to day life. I was under the impression that I put him in the Navy and then told him to go find the Titanic. And I was just like, why? No, I think he just kind of wanted to. No, in fact, that is very much the opposite of. So he's just everything. doing this because he's interested and, and wants to find it. Yeah. So he discovered some other gotcha. things. Like, so his whole sh- sort of shtick is just like ocean exploration. So there's so much okay. about the like bottom of the ocean that we don't know. And so some of the things that he did before mm-hmm. this time, I think, were like mapping ocean vents and stuff like that. So he was really just into like discovering the like the depths of the ocean, things that we hadn't. Yeah, I mean, it is before. the most famous shipwreck, like arguably of all time. So he wasn't made a naval commander for the purpose of the Titanic. Like that had absolutely nothing to do with it. I misunderstood. Go on. Get it together. Sorry, I've had two mimosas. But he did. He did go to the Navy to ask for funding for this uh, submersible that he wanted to work on. So in 1982, like again, so in his capacity as just a research oceanographer, he met with the Navy in 82 to um, ask for funding to develop this submersible technology. Okay. Um, And like for the purposes of finding the Titanic, like that's what he wanted to do. And so Ronald Thunman, who was the deputy chief of naval operations and submarine warfare, was very interested in the technology, but he didn't care about the Titanic. He cared about these two nuclear submarines that uh, the Navy had lost in the 1960s. What submarines were they? The USS Thrasher and the USS Scorpion. Cool names. So they were both nuclear powered and they. at least one of them, I'm not sure if both of them, but at least one of them also had like nuclear powered like torpedoes, so nuclear weapons Ooh. on them as well. And they were lost during the Cold War. And the Navy knew where the ships were, like they knew where they sank and they had them mapped basically, but they didn't know things like how they sank. And they were also concerned about the nuclear material potentially leaking into like the environment. Yeah, that'd be bad. I don't know what problems that could possibly cause. It's totally safe. It's fine. We're not the biggest hazard on Earth. It's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> so the Navy was interested in this technology that Ballard was like proposing um, to build because they could use it to like get really, really close to these two submarines and like take really like accurate pictures of their condition um, and even use it to like collect samples and everything like that. Uh, So they agreed to fund um, this robotic submersible, but only if Bob Ballard then used it to help the Navy take pictures of these submarines. So Bob Ballard agreed to help the Navy um, use his technology to take pictures um, and investigate these two submarines. But then he asked, well, after that, can I then look for the Titanic? And so even though we didn't know exactly where the Titanic was, there were like general ideas about its supposed whereabouts. And it happened to be um, conveniently located between the two submarines. So he was going to be like in the neighborhood <laughs> while he was on this mission. I'll just swing by. <laughs> while I'm in the neighborhood, I'll just swing yeah. by. Yeah. But how do we like didn't I mean, I know technology wasn't in 1912 what it is today, obviously, but like they still had navigation technologies like didn't they have couldn't they have like some rough idea where it was yeah i mean they did that's why they knew that it was probably in between these two submarines but 
Um, right. They just don't have the exact coordinate yeah. like we would have if it had happened. Because like, wouldn't we have the like the coordinates of where it physically sunk? And then I guess it could have like moved a lot when it went all the way down. It would be much yeah. rougher than it would be today. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, how accurate the right. coordinates were at the time that it actually sank. Because so even after it struck the iceberg, it continued to move. And so, right. and then after, and but then like they were sank, sending out the SOS signals and stuff, they had to have some kind of coordinates. They did, but it was still in motion. But I guess it it, it fell a long way down, so I'm sure currents and stuff can move it. Yeah, so yeah. from the surface to the bottom, it traveled miles, like just down the column. And then as right. it goes down the column, it moves. Um, and so they didn't have an exact location of where it was. To me, but that's they like had, almost mind-blowing to be like, this gigantic ship, the ocean is like that much more of a scale of enormous that... Yeah. You can't find it. It's ridiculous. The ocean is fucking huge. So when the two submarines sank in the 60s or sunk, sank, sunk in the yeah. 60s. When, when they, they sank, sank in the 60s. In the 60s. Yeah. yeah. When they um, sank. They had like really accurate coordinates at that time uh, for those uh, submarines. And so it was very, very easy for them to locate them. So they located the submarines like within the same years that they sank. Um, mm -hmm. because they were able to go back to essentially like exactly where they were. But in 1912, I don't think they had the means to determine exactly mm. like the exact coordinates. I think mm -hmm. it was just like all general, um, like probably like in this quadrant of the ocean. Right. I don't know. And then, as I said, like after um, hit the iceberg, it still continued to travel for a while, at which point, I don't know who was like keeping records. Yeah. And then it broke in two also. Yeah. So. Well, people were trying to like save their own lives. So yeah. no, nobody was keeping track at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so they had like an estimate on where it was. So he asked, you know, the Navy after I help out with this Thresher Scorpion stuff, can I look for the Titanic? And Thunman, so the Navy guy, he said, uh, you know, that the mission, it's really to study these sunken uh, submarines. But he kind of just, like, hinted that, uh, like, you're going to get a crew and funding for this, like, allotted amount of time. So if you finish all of the work that you need to do for the Scorpion and the Thresher, like, you can do whatever you want with the time that's left. That's fair. Yeah, but so he never, like, gave him explicit permission, like, you may search for the Titanic. It was just like, this is your priority. If you get your homework done, then you can go out to play. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, okay, that's cool. Like, we'll work it out. But the Navy didn't actually want the world to know what Bob Ballard was up to because it is still the Cold War. And like the fact that these submarines like were um, lost to begin with was still like, confidential information they didn't want the russians to know that uh like the u.s had two nuclear submarines sitting at the bottom of the ocean and so if they sent like if they publicized in any way that they were sending like a crew out to look sure. at it then it would attract the attention of the russians and maybe they would beat them to it or like who knows what would happen uh, but so they needed to keep it secret that they were using like bob ballard to um investigate the ships or the submarines so they conveniently used the Titanic as a cover story. Oh. Uh, because what else would Bob Ballard be doing out there? Nothing. <laughs> I mean, how do we even know, like, the general public world, how do we even know that he's out there? Nobody knows that he's out there. It's the middle of the fucking ocean. Do we need to make any story? 
Well, it's it involves like uh like resources from um like the Navy and National Geographic. And so people who follow that kind of activity oh, would know I about see. it. Yeah. I guess if you're going through like the um like the budget or anything like that, you would see like, oh, what's this charge that we're you know gotcha so they weren't like advertising yeah. to the world like hey this guy's out there looking for the titanic but like anyone who was in that world no but that was the story in case someone no asked. they right. they essentially were oh okay uh, oh well that okay. which i think is sort of one of the shittier things of the cover story because this is bob beller's career so at this point in reality and what people don't know but like in reality he was on this mission serving under his capacity as like a US naval commander and he was on like a navy military mission but to the world he was Bob Ballard the oceanographer like working for Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution and and alongside National Geographic so like people okay. from National Geographic were on the boat like and they truly believed that they were going to look for the Titanic and they were there to like <laughs> document Bob Ballard finding the Titanic why would we invite them onto the boat? Like, if we're trying to keep this great secret of, like, we're looking for nuclear submarines, like, and we're trying to keep it a secret and just have a cover story on, like, don't invite extras who don't know what's actually going on. But if the point is that they want to be able to passably have a cover story of looking for the Titanic, they have to do everything that they would normally do. Yeah, they have to make it look like it. I guess, but that just increases the risk that those people will figure out what he's doing. He's be like, hey. I mean, this whole thing is a risky move. I know, like, yeah. I don't think they're measuring, you know, risk the same yeah. way that we are at this point. But I just think it's funny slash shitty for Bob Ballard that the Navy was basically like setting him up for failure. Like, so they're... They're not giving him all the time he can to look for it. And then if he doesn't find it, it's like, oh, he failed. But it's like, oh, he just didn't have time because he was actually doing something else. Yeah. Right. So he, they're basically setting him up to come back as like having failed finding the Titanic. And that would right. be like a mark on his record. That would be to the public the second right. expedition that he didn't find the Titanic. And then also it would be misleading to other oceanographers because they would be like, oh, well, oh, Bob he's Ballard, already looked at this. Yeah. Like Bob Ballard has already searched this area and he didn't find anything. So we're not going to go there. We're going to go look somewhere else for the Titanic. Right. And so it's like it's just very misleading to the scientific community as well. Like this cover story. The worst. Mm -hmm. Scientists are terrible. All of them. Ban them all. Including Liz, even though she's not really a scientist. She's a scientista. Get it right. Barely. <laughs> she doesn't even do science she doesn't even go here she really doesn't so the cover story worked and the press appeared to be oblivious to what was really happening and they went out on the mission and uh, he found out using his new equipment that the nuclear reactors were safe and were not leaking into the environment um, and everything was all fine down there everything is awesome he also confirmed yep. uh, through his pictures that um, the submarine sank of like essentially natural causes, um, like issues that were internal to the submarine caused both of them to kind of flood and sink. So it wasn't um, like bombing. Sorry, from natural the causes sounds like <laughs> like someone yeah. who passed away of natural causes, meaning like they just got old and died. It's <laughs> yeah, submarines do that. The submarines just be like, I'm old. I'm over it. As opposed to being torpedoed by the Russians. I'm over it. Like, my kidneys are failing. It's just time. Like, <laughs> just for you know. one, it says it was a piping issue. So, I, yeah, I kind of just Pack feel it like in. Uh, 
It was just wearing down bad joints. <laughs> the Sounds submarine right. had arthritis. <laughs> Summary, submarine arthritis. We should just get an ibuprofen and then move on. That's how medicine works. Is there such a thing as natural causes in an unnatural machine? Like unnatural machine. Well, it's like wear and tear. I think that would be the equivalent <laughs> of natural causes. AKA yeah. arthritis. The submarine died of arthritis. <laughs> I mean, you know, deadly diseases. I guess the point was it wasn't like shot down or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it, it, just, it just got old. <laughs> its heart gave out. It died of a broken heart. Oh. Did people die on these submarines? Like how many people died on these submarines? Um, there were about 100 people in each submarine that died when it sank. Damn. Oof. Yeah, that's not great. One was like already at depth when it like imploded, basically. Um, imploded. So, like, the the failure happened like while it was like under the water as opposed to at the surface. The other one I couldn't really find specific information about. Jesus. What happened? Like what it was doing while it when it became sick. <laughs> when it became sick. <laughs> when it fell ill. Oh. Poor little submarine and hundred of people. There are no flu shots for submarines. Rest in peace. So he collected everything that he was assigned to do on the mission. And in doing so, he learned a very important lesson. Uh, as he was observing the submarines, the area around the submarines, he discovered um, patterns in the debris. And so the heaviest stuff sinks very quickly. And the lighter stuff would get spread out with the currents. Um, and this left a really uh, large trail. And so it's called a debris trail. Um, and he realized that he could use the debris trail to find the Titanic. Because especially um, as was known that the Titanic like split in half uh, before uh-huh. it sank, then it dumped a lot of contents out. And so uh, he you know, developed this theory that the Titanic had a large debris field. and so. On his first expedition, like really, they were just using this sonar technology. So from the surface, they're just trying to like scan like large chunks of the ocean, and the sonar would pick up large pieces of metal. And so they were just like looking for the ship. And so because of what he discovered while he was looking for the submarines, he realized that he could use his robot to take like pictures of the ocean floor, and instead of looking for the ship, he would look for the debris. Uh, because the trail left by the debris would be like dozens of times larger than the actual ship itself. Sure. There was that much debris that it was bigger than the actual ship? Oh, so it's three miles? What did I say? It's something like two to three miles that like from the surface to the ocean floor that the Titanic sank. And then um, like lighter things like... Um, like the boiler from the engine room or something like that would have essentially gone like straight down. Um, but lighter things like people's papers or books and like their shoes or something like that, um, as those sink, they would be like drawn out for miles um, because the current would carry them really far. And so, yeah, so the field like left uh, behind okay. would be like substantially larger than the ship itself. It's not like as dense as the ship, but it's spread out farther just like yeah the spread yeah um and so you could sort of like follow the lighter items to the heavier items to the ship okay makes sense yeah so he was like now i know how i'll try to find the titanic and fortunately for him 
he finished all of his Navy work with 12 days to spare. Okay. How many days was he given total? I could not find that information. Okay. I'm wondering if it's 12 days out of 14 or 12 days out of like a year. Well, it doesn't matter. He has 12 days left. Okay. Um, And so he turned his boat around and he went looking for the Titanic. Turn around every now and then I get a little bit Okay, go ahead. It's still impressive that in 12 days he found the Titanic. Well, because at this point, so for one thing, they Spoiler were alert in the area. I'm sorry, we're still looking. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it kind of makes sense because they're already out there in the area. So there's no travel time really like from Boston. Uh, like they're already out in the general vicinity of, of the ship. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's true. Uh, and he has a strategy. Like he knows now what he needs to be looking for. And he has cool. the technology to do it. And so, it, I mean, it's definitely still very impressive, but he, he had the resources that he needed to get it done. Um, so in those last 12 days, he did, in fact, discover the Titanic. What, what? Woo! There's sort of, like, rumors that some people in the Navy didn't know that he had permission to, like, look for the Titanic. Um, and, like, he kind of sort of didn't. It's a little unclear. Um, but... So, like, some people thought that he should have returned, like, immediately after finishing his mission and not waste, like, 12 days of resources of, like, naval funding. Shut up, narcs. <laughs> he had those, he, like, the resources were already there. He didn't get extra resources. They said, you have this time, so. Well, yeah, well, yeah, some but not pe- everyone knew that. Yeah. I mean, the money's already spent. Mm. <laughs> no, it wasn't? You I, could, he was- I mean, no, it, I'm sure, but, like, you could have used, they could have used it for other things instead. Well, they could have shut up, turned back to port. Yeah, exactly. Reassigned all of that crew to do something else. Um, yeah, but now we know where many. the Titanic is. Now yeah. they're shut a part up. of history. So other people in the Navy were also concerned when the Titanic was discovered because now, uh, like, their cover story is real. And there's a lot of extra publicity drawn on to the expedition. So they were just kind of hoping that, like, even though some press were covering it, that just Bob Ballard would return quietly, not having found the Titanic, and just kind of continue to live an under-the-radar life. Uh, but instead, he found the Titanic, which nobody thought that he was actually going to do on the trip, and uh, it was drawing a lot of attention to the expedition. And so the Navy was concerned that like, the secret of the other stuff that they were doing for the first like, length of the trip would be revealed. Okay. Uh, but they continued to be able to cover it, uh, there were some um, people that found out that the Navy was like involved somehow, um, and uh, the Navy simply issued a statement saying that they were interested in the technology Ballard was using, and so they like had people on the boat or something to monitor how it's used and be trained for it, but that they otherwise did not have any in- like military involvement in the expedition. Gotcha. So it was like a advertised like a training exercise. Yeah, just like oh well, like this is really interesting technology that the Navy might be interested in. Uh, so we were there for that, and that was it. Gotcha. Makes sense. That's a good cover story. Uh, and that continued to be the story for a few decades until the documents were reclassified. Or sorry, until the documents were declassified in uh, I believe the early two thousands. But so that is the true story of how the Titanic was discovered. Damn. Bob Ballard also goes on to say that he, quote, cannot talk about other Navy missions. 
because they have yet to be disclassified. Dun, dun, dun. Declassified. What did I say? Did I say it again? You said disclassified. Oh, they have yet to be declassified. So there's other secrets. True story. I met Bob Ballard at a dinner. What? What? It's a true story. How? When? He was in Erie, PA, talking about like you know water exploration and whatnot, and he was at a dinner, and I met him. I studied at URI for two and a half years and never met the guy. Well, we're best friends. How did your interaction go? Was he a cool guy? Like, what yeah, did you talk about? he was fine. I don't know. I was like 12, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, it was pretty quick. It was, you know, photo op. If you were 12, you probably did not appreciate who he even was. Yeah, probably not to the fullest extent. But Actually, his stuff would not have even been declassified at that point. Maybe I was a little older. Well, no, the mission wouldn't have been declassified, but he did find the Titanic. He did just, yes, oh, he yeah, did. yeah, yeah. He was known, at that point, he was known for finding the Titanic. Right. But the, he definitely the was the part. guy who found the Titanic by the time I met him. Right, but you, all this <laughs> other stuff wasn't revealed yet. It's kind of like Correct. how you met that murderer, or you talked yep. to that murderer, but like all the stuff afterwards came later. Yes name dropping and stuff Tracy. i mean i'm really famous so <laughs> you've got I think connections i am 48 hours and murderers and oceanographers i'm very well connected in the people who lie about what they're doing community <laughs> <laughs> tracy herself is a spy it's true, it's true. liz that was a secret god God, do you not understand what a spy we is? We just declassified it. Here live. You heard it first, listeners. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the most sexual innuendo way to transition to Steph's topic. So I'm going to talk about premature performers. Does anyone have any guesses what this could be about? It's not ejaculation. People who run on stage too early before their entrance. I'm thinking about like people like in a race who like jump the gun, like mm, jumping know. the gun. That's a good yeah. one. Nope. We are going to talk about how premature infants and incubators Aww. used to be a carnival act. No. <laughs> oh no! I was an infant in an incubator. You were. My nephews were infants in incubators. Tracy, you could have been a premature performer. I mean, I've been a performer my whole life, so. And you were premature. I was. So she is a premature performer. Well, not. She wasn't at a carnival. How early were you? Seven, eight weeks, something, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like two months early. Jeez. Yeah, not great. Go ahead. So. Martin Cooney was not a doctor. <laughs> Same. Okay. <laughs> the end. No. <laughs> All right. Great. He was born in 1869 in Prussia under the name Michael Kahn, which I find kind of ironic because he conned people his entire life in a way. Super um, appropriate. Oh, it was spelled that way? It's or- C-O-H-N. Okay. But he kind of conned people. Is that not Cone? Maybe. I don't know. It's Prussian. He changed his name when he immigrated to New York at the age of 18. And for some reason, he was very interested in neonatal medicine and specifically in the use of incubators for premature infants. 
he uh, he claimed that he studied medicine in Leipzig and Berlin, and that he did neonatal graduate work in Paris. He claims that he trained under the world-renowned French doctor Pierre Constant Boudin. 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 I never took French. I can't help you with this. Um, anyway, Budin. We're going to call him Budin. B-U-D-I-N. Yep. That's what we're going to do. massacring the French language, I'm sure. Get over Don't it. at us, listeners. I do not speak French. No parlez-vous français. <laughs> You're not helping your case here. Um, so Budin popularized the incubator in Europe. Um, incubators were developed in like the late 1800s in like Russia, Germany, France. And he kind of popularized it throughout Europe. And Cooney claims that uh, this guy, Budin, had sent him to the Great Industrial Exhibition in 1896 to display these incubators. But Cooney would have been 27, if we do the math. He immigrated to New York at 18. So it's oh. a little bit questionable. Yeah. yeah. Oh, That's yeah. pretty easy math to deduce. Um, in reality, he probably was not even at this exhibition. We have no idea why he became interested in neonatal medicine or incubators, and there's literally zero evidence that he had any kind of medical training at all. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and especially because he immigrated to New York at the age of 18. So, unless he's some kind of like prodigy Doogie yeah, Hauser that studied yeah. when he was 14, getting yeah. his medical <laughs> license, exactly. it just feels not probable. It's, it's unlikely. Did nobody need to display any sort of credentials so, <laughs> to be able to So pretty work? much, he lied about his credentials, and if he had been found out at the time, he would have had to pay some like hefty fines and probably do some jail time, because now we're in like the late 1800s, early 1900s, so mm-hmm. there's like a little bit more regulation on doctors than like the plague doctors. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> like we were no longer dressing like crows and putting chicken butts and crushed emeralds into like our medical repertoire. <laughs> That's disappointing. You can't just be the fruit vendor who now <laughs> applies frogs to armpits. Like that's not going to cut it anymore. <laughs> Bummer. Yeah. Fucking rules. Regulations just ruins all the fun. I don't like it. So he, he would have, he would have had some jail time if he had been discovered at the time, but he was not discovered. He moved to New York and he started touring incubators around the United States because that was his great passion in life for who knows what reason. So he went to Coney Island in 1903 and one block from the Luna Park amusement park. So like literally a block away from the carnival, he had a a show, a display of premature infants in incubators. Yeah. How did he recruit them? Oh, we'll get to that. Okay, great. We we will get there. I was concerned. His show went on for 40 years. (laughs) What? 40 years of incubated infants on display at the fucking carnival. (laughs) What? Pass. (laughs) Tracy, this could have been you. It could have been me, although I wouldn't have been a baby forever, so I probably well, no, would have gotten a few months out of it. <laughs> These infants didn't live at the carnival for 40 years. I'm just there saying. was a rotating door of, in- of incubated infants. It wasn't like, you live here now. <laughs> this is your life This now. 40-year-old used to be a premature infant, and now they just live in a box. <laughs> 
I mean, what's the like life expectancy on these infants at this point? Like, it's not great because it wasn't great in the 80s when, Again, when I came around. Okay. So people would come to these shows and they would pay a quarter, which in today's money is $7. So like a movie ticket. That's like half of a movie ticket nowadays. Not near EPA. Well, in DC Where and Honolulu, never- that is half a movie ticket. <laughs> I miss those. Also, how much were the shots in Erie? Were those also a quarter or were those a dollar? The shots were a dollar. The shots beer, of what? Shots of liquor. Just like cheap liquor, real liquor. Uh, and then quarter, uh, oh my God. there's quarter draft night where you can get a beer for yeah. a quarter. Okay. All right. Well, you can get cheaper alcohol. You get wasted in Erie PA for the cost of seeing premature infants at a carnival. You could. Yeah. Um, and all of the money, all the $7 per person, all that money went into the baby's care. Like this wasn't like a oh, profit that's machine. Nice. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. That's lovely. So you would, people would go into these displays and there would be like a guardrail separating mm-hmm. the visitors from the babies, which I keep like in my head, I liken it to like a zoo. Yeah. <laughs> so like that sounds very zoo-like. Or like a sneeze guard at a salad bar. <laughs> I feel oh. like the sneeze guard is the most appropriate analogy. Oh. But it really is to keep like regular people germs away from sick little children probably a little yeah bit it's not great to infect your premature child with anything mm-hmm. probably not when i had um a cold after my nephews were born and so they were like a full trimester early i think mm-hmm. and they were twins so they're already small um but so i had just moved down here and when they were born so i didn't get to go up to see them for a couple months and they were still in like uh the NICU. And uh, I was really excited to go see them and I had it planned for a little while, but then I got like a cold a few days before going up and I had to stay like three doors away mm-hmm. and I couldn't mm-hmm. even see them. Like my mom could go in and so she went like she went through like multiple sets of like doors and rooms of sanitation or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I just sat in the waiting room and like my mom called me from the phone from inside. Um, I didn't yeah. even get to like I, I was like quarantined very very far away i mean in hospitals in general there's always like signs around being like it's flu season if you have a fever or you're sick like don't visit your loved one right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um actually my sister who just finished chemotherapy a month ago Yay! and is now in remission my sister the very talented artist who is designing our artwork she had because she was in chemotherapy she couldn't get a flu vaccine because pretty much she has no immune system um yeah so her doctor was like you can get a flu shot but it's not going to do anything because it works on strengthening your immune system and right now your immune system is pretty much non-existent right she had to like put a she put a sign like at her desk at work about like you know herd immunity and the importance of like not being sick at work and shit or something. I forget exactly mm-hmm. what the sign said, but it was pretty much just like, don't hang out here. If I'm very vulnerable. Sick. Keep yeah. your arms away. Yeah. And she would like go to work wearing like this, like she used to commute. She goes, she lives in, or she works in New York city. She had this like big mask on her face when she was going to work on the subway mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. you know, all bundled up because. Yeah. She has no immune system. Exactly. Same as an infant child, no immune yeah. system yet. But in late 1980s, you could just stroll through like a tourist attraction. The, no, yep. this is not. This is the 1900s, early 18. 1900s. Oh, early 1900s. 1903. 
anyway, so he hired barkers. Barkers uh, were people who would go outside of the exhibit and like shout at people to draw them in. They'd be like, don't forget to see the babies as they were like leaving the amusement park. Were they all named Bob? Bob Barker? No. (laughs) I'm glad you find yourself funny. (laughs) Stay new to your pets, kids. (laughs) What? (laughs) Price is right, Elizabeth. God. Oh, Bob. Anyway. (laughs) Um, she was a family feud kind of girl. We went through this. Yes. Okay. Um, so Cooney himself would go outside of his exhibit to like draw people in and he would shout things like once seen, never forgotten. And all the world loves a baby, which is a false statement. That's not true. (laughs) (laughs) That is super not true. Not all of us love babies. So apparently, so I guess at the time, like seeing an infant, this tiny, was equivalent to like a freak show display, like when we used huh. to do freak shows before we realized yeah. that, that wasn't quite kosher, you know? Like alongside the the guy with the lobster hands and the bearded woman and all that jazz. Yeah, sure, it was sure. like the tiny infants. That's so weird. How many would he have at a time, do you know? Um, that I don't know. I don't know how many he had at one particular time. I like I'm thinking like if I was their mom, I wouldn't be signing off on this. Well, we'll get to why they did. Okay. Um, and there was, uh, there was a book written about him. Um, and according to that author, this is a quote from him. He never got tired of talking to the public, even the doom cops who deduced he'd made the little critters. So there were people who would come who like didn't conceptually understand that these were just like normal tiny humans. And that he thought that he like had created them, like they were a new species or something. <laughs> what? So they'd ask him like, "Where did you get the eggs from? Can you make a fresh batch for me?" <laughs> oh, my. oh my god, they aren't omelets, Jesus! <laughs> oh, oh no! <laughs> yeah, there was Dumkops, which is German for dummy heads, according to my grandfather. Um, oh. That's what he used to use the word doomkop all the time, and he told me it meant dummy head. I don't know if that's a literal transla- translation, but essentially I mean, it means it idiot. Sounds, sounds close. Doomkop means idiot. Okay. Um, we can't look it up, so we'll there's no way to it. know. Um, for all I know, it's like a swear word, and my grandfather translated to dummy head to be. You just insulted like yeah. a whole bunch of people. I don't know. Well, I guess and then we got an kicked off the airwaves because <gasps> Steph can't. <laughs> Google Translate before she says things. All right, well, go ahead. He wants to get to it. Go for it. Nah, I'm good. A doomkopf is a stupid person. All right. Or a blockhead. Blockhead. Dummy head. Oh, same blockhead. thing. blockhead. That makes me think of Charlie Brown. That's adorable. Blockhead. <laughs> um, and then eventually, in 1905, two years later, he set up a second exhibit in Atlantic Shitty, New Jersey. Ah, beautiful. Beautiful Atlantic Shitty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> until the late 1930s, incubators were not available at hospitals at all in the United States. So, if a baby was born premature, there really wasn't much hope. There weren't many options for that baby. So, were people handing them over to him because they Essentially, otherwise... so pediatricians would actually send babies to him because there's, like, the we, there's nothing else we can do for you. The hospital has no options for you. Um, you might as well go take your baby to the carnival. (laughs) So anyway, so pediatricians would send the babies to him because there was no options. Whether or not they knew he wasn't a doctor is unclear. 
maybe they just didn't like do a background check on him, but also it was like, there's no other options. So you might as well go to this guy. And um, Cooney would take babies of all races, all economic backgrounds. Like he didn't discriminate at all. He just wanted to take care of did them. Did he charge the families for taking care of them? Or did all of that funding just come from the tourism? Well, my next line is he didn't charge the parents a dime. Okay, oh. cool. Well, that's nice. All of the costs for the babies were covered by the entrance fees. Oh. So it cost about $15 a day per baby, which is the equivalent of $405 a day today Damn. to care for each baby. So for like $405, he could care for a premature infant with like incubator needs and everything, which is really low cost. Like it's a really low cost of inpatient medicine. Yeah. What was the success rate of We will get this? to it, Elizabeth. You were like always one line ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when you kept interrupting Tracy's segment in the last yep. episode? <laughs> yep. <laughs> How does it feel? Doesn't feel good. How does it feel? <laughs> this is karma. Goodness. Well, the point I was going to make before that was like, so like I once had to stay in a hospital overnight for like 12 hours. And oh, not for 12 days. I was going to say, yet. not when I was, no, when I had sepsis, I was there for 10 days. Septic shock, I was there for 10 days. When I stayed overnight for 12 hours when I lacerated my liver and they were just oh, right. monitoring my blood count like over the course of 12 hours and then they end up discharging me, that cost me $2,800 for 12 hours in the hospital and an ER visit. I think the ER visit was waived because I worked in the ER. So, Medical costs seem to have gotten out of control. A lot of costs have gotten out of control. Education, out of control. Exactly. Like college tuition, absolutely mm-hmm. insane. Not mm-hmm. even just like normal inflation costs. Like yeah. that is absurd. That you could take care of a premature infant for $405 a day. And then for like half a day, I paid $2,800. And all they did was check my blood a couple of times and say, you're not bleeding internally significantly. Like you can go home. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 So over the course of his like forty plus year career, forty to fifty year career, he took eight thousand babies, and reportedly six thousand five hundred to seven thousand of them survived. Oh, so it's a pretty decent success rate for considering he's not a doctor. For that's a non doctor. This is like, we can't officially confirm this because he never published anything because you probably can't publish anything when you're not a doctor. Um, (laughs) But like all the pediatricians in the area and stuff vouched for him. And from what we can deduce, like that's a pretty accurate uh, or as close as accurate as we can get number. So he did a pretty good job. And there were like children's charities, doctors and other health officials at the time that like kept trying to shut him down over and over again because they're like, oh, you're exploiting and endangering these babies. But like at the same time, the alternative is just like do nothing because the hospitals have no options. So why not put your baby in the circus and see what happens? (laughs) I'm going to tell this to my mom and see what her reaction would have been like <laughs> would she have done someone the same was like, for you yeah would you have put me in the circus mom like <laughs> actually i'm gonna text her right now and see Let's what see she what says th- and i will keep you updated please please and thank you okay keep going so when the babies came to him so like i said it was either a pediatrician that referred to him or like the parents themselves may have heard about 
him or maybe they had gone to the display before they found themselves in this situation, but like they had a premature baby and they pretty much like arrived to him like in a panic. Like there's nothing else to do. My baby is premature. Like, please help me. And when they arrived, they were immediately given a bath. Probably not in urine. Couldn't find the details of the bath, but it's probably not in urine. I would um, hope clean water. Again, we're a little bit beyond plague doctor plague. medicine. Not not too far, but... Like 500 years, but anyway. <laughs> so they slathered them in rubbing alcohol, swaddled them tightly, and then put them in incubators that were at around 96 degrees Fahrenheit. And then every... If they could suckle, they would like be fed by a wet nurse every two hours. If not, they had a special spoon to like feed them uh, like a funneled spoon to feed them the breast milk every couple hours. And all of this was done on public display. Oh, everything. Oh, no, thank you. No, nope. so it's like a live action soap opera for people to come and watch as like all of this is happening to further emphasize like how tiny these babies were. Like reportedly there was one nurse who would like take off her diamond ring and slide it up the baby's arms, oh, like all the way up to like their their upper arm. That's like a big photo thing for exactly. premature babies. That's still done like all the time. Really? Okay. Yeah, my mom said that she has a picture. It's not the not the ring one, although I've seen that. But my mom has a picture of like me fitting in my dad's, like not even going halfway down his arm, like fitting in the palm just of like his hand, scale. essentially. Just yeah. to like, yeah, things like that to, to show scale, just to right. emphasize how tiny these babies were. They would also like purposely dress them in clothes that were too big for them. My mom just wrote back, maybe, how much would they fetch? <laughs> <laughs> Your life. <laughs> the payment is the baby gets to live. <laughs> So most babies uh, stayed with him for a couple of months, not 40 years. <laughs> and um, you know, if, they, if they were not going to make it, it was usually in the first 24 to 48 hours. If they made it past that, they were generally good and they survived. Mm-hmm. Um, the, things, the methods that he used. So he was very strict on hygiene, which as we've learned historically, doctors in medicine and didn't gen- the medicine community community didn't always understand the importance of hygiene, but mm-hmm. he was a little ahead of his time in that regard and was like very strict on hygiene. He encouraged breast milk only for the babies. And he, so while the standard of care at the time was, as you were saying before, like don't touch them, don't want to risk infection, keep away from them. He kind of advocated for his nurses to like hug and hold them and kiss them and just like, yeah, I mean, you also contact. still want to familiarize them with like human contact and yeah. feel like they are loved and right and he thought that they responded that to that of kind of affection yeah so. and he was very very strict on about his wet nurses they were not allowed to drink any alcohol ever smoke cigarettes they were not allowed to eat junk food like hot dogs and they're at the well, goddamn yeah, that carnival gotta be pure mm-hmm. they're at the carnival and they're not allowed to eat like hot dogs and cotton candy and stuff <sighs> i want a funnel cake if they were caught doing so they'd be fired on the spot now I want a hot dog. Well, you cannot be a wet nurse then. I wonder how difficult it was to get a wet nurse. I don't know. I, I feel like they were fairly common in that time period. But yeah. I, just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That I did not look into. Um, and he had a special cook hired to like prepare nutritious meals for the, for the nurses. 
<laughs> I thought you were going to say for the babies. I was like, I feel like they're not eating like no. roasted carrots. They are not. Not yet. <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> in uh, 1904, there was a World's Fair in St. Louis. So just like a year after he started all this. Was and- there? What? <laughs> what? Did they also have an Olympics? So weird. They might have. <laughs> they might have. So weird. I don't know. I didn't look into that. I know nothing about that. Um, so the fair wanted to have an incubator exhibit, and but the slot went to the lowest bidder, not to Cooney. So the lowest bidder was a doctor named Dr. Joseph Hardy. And while he had all the credentials, he was a doctor. Okay, wait. So I just want to clarify something. So yes. the, like, the exhibit at the fair, the World's mm-hmm. Fair. Yes. It was specifically for preemie babies, and they were just looking for somebody to run it? Yeah, like they wanted to bring okay. a doctor and they wanted to bring somebody okay. in to bring incubated babies to kind of put okay. it on display. At first, I was thinking just that like different people were just bidding for a spot in the fair. And so they were all coming in with like different things to no, offer. No, specifically, they wanted someone oh. to display incubators. Okay. So there was different people doing like working. He wasn't the only one working in incubators. Okay. Um, and trying to like advance this technology. Um, so they found somebody else who was doing it, which was Dr. Joseph Hardy, who, again, had all the credentials. He actually was a doctor, but he apparently was not as good at working with them as Cooney was because on his display at the fair, he had 43 infants. 39 did not make it. Aww. Which is That's not, not good odds. Not good optics. For the incubator. So Cooney at the time wrote an open letter to the New York Evening Journal saying it was the crime of the decade and that Hardy did not know the difference between an incubator and a peanut roaster. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, like they had the exhibit continue, but they found a new doctor instead of Hardy because they're like, this isn't isn't working out, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Cooney, to display his own success, he would have reunion for the kids who had like had previously been his incubator babies and like moved on in 1909 he had a best preemie competition Stop. what does that mean <laughs> how it do was, you win it was essentially like a baby beauty pageant it was toddlers and tiaras preemie edition 1909 i'm obsessed tracy you would have been in this i definitely would have won <laughs> was it like participation trophy style because i just feel like every pre- preemie should win well, no, only one one. His name was Burton. He was, three, he was three years old at the time. Oh, so it was like later, like when they are yes. actually toddlers. Yes, yes. It was the ones who survived and like were a little bit older now, came back and he had like a reunion competition. So Burton, who was three years old, was deemed the healthiest, handsomest, and best developed. And he won himself a little red wagon. No. Oh, I had a little red wagon growing up. Did you win it in a I did not win it in a Best Premie Award. (laughs) His goal overall was to like popularize the incubator and make it more commonly used so that he didn't have to have these carnival displays. Like he just wanted to like push this technology so that people would use it and he didn't need to like do it at Coney Island anymore. He tried like selling them or even just donating them to hospitals throughout his career, but repeatedly was like turned down. Boo. Yeah. Because so, like in 1940, he offered like all of his incubators to the city of New York to use in their hospitals, and they said no. 
And I don't understand why. Yeah. So like possible reasons why is like they thought maybe it was like too difficult and labor intensive to operate them and they didn't have like enough nurses with the skills and how to use them. Well, yeah, you fucking train them. Like, I don't understand. Exactly. Medicine is like an ever evolving field. Yeah. There's no like end. Yeah. New technologies come along all the time. And you're just like, okay, now we need to learn how to do this because it's the better way of doing it. You don't just be like, uh, that's too hard. We're going to keep doing it the way we're doing it. It's like it's you yeah, always have to learn some bullshit new things. in New York City. That's yeah. some real bullshit. Real bullshit. The other reason it might have been rejected is because eugenics was a popular idea back then. Oh, so yeah. they just wanted to kill us off. So there was like, yeah, there's a general like <laughs> All right, cool. societal <laughs> cultural belief that preemies weren't worth saving. Same thing about children with disabilities. Yeah. Well, that still is kind of permeating. We don't want them in our gene pool. So why would we put any time or effort or technology or research into saving them and letting them grow up? I may be biased. I am biased. But I feel like I contribute to society. Like, get it together. (laughs) A little bit. You're here. I mean, I contribute. I am a podcaster. How can you tell me (laughs) that I have not done anything with my life? And you have met, what's his name that discovered the Titanic? Bailey. Bob Ballard. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) So Cooney contributed. I mean, Cooney continued his work until 1943 when Cornell New York Hospital finally took some of his incubators and started using them. He was 73 at the time, so that's when he finally retired from this endeavor. And he died at the age of 80, so pretty much like all of his adult life, he worked on this. Little fun fact, he was close buddies with Morris Fishbane, who was a controversial president of the American Medical Association. Um, He was like the head of the Medical Association, the AMA, for 25 years, and he led this crusade. Like His his claim to fame is that he led this crusade against quack doctors. He wrote a book called like Fads and Quackery and Healing, where he debunked quackery, quackery, <laughs> quackery, <laughs> yeah. fads and quackery and healing was the name of the book. And he in it, he debunks homeopathy, which, again, we will get to later. <laughs> Osteopathy, chiropractics, Christian science and radionics, which in the brief research I did is the study of electro electromagnetic waves and radio waves to diagnose and treat diseases. Anyway. Huh. So I just found it kind of funny that he's friends with this guy who's like anti him. We did this crusade against quack doctors and he's not a doctor. <laughs> so at what point was he like found out? Like when did everybody else know that he wasn't a doctor? I'm not sure, but I think it was like well after all this was was done. Like I think he maintained that secret throughout his career. Huh. But I couldn't find out exactly when he was I thought, I thought people knew because these other doctors were vouching for him. No, the other doctors were vouching for like his... His practices, like that he was just doing a good job. Like the, the pediatricians were like, mm. you should go to him because there's no one else. But I don't think they knew he wasn't actually a doctor. And like the other people who were like trying to shut him down, they were doing so because they thought he was like extorting and endangering the babies, but not because he wasn't actually a doctor. Okay. So I think it was like history figured it out, not at the time. Yeah. And so anyway, I'm just going to end my segment with a list of famous premature babies. Tracy Lucas. Tracy Lucas. Tracy Lucas. <laughs> top of the list. Top of the list. Go ahead. Einstein. Oh, I didn't know that. Napoleon. Oh, he doesn't make nah. us look too good. Yeah. He doesn't make us look great. Churchill. Winston oh, Churchill. I didn't know Churchill was. 
Isaac Newton. <laughs> Maybe somewhat ironically, Charles Darwin. Nice. Oh, so, <laughs> good for him. He overcame the odds. Overcame the odds. Pablo Picasso. Look at us. Mark Twain. Michael J. Fox. And Stevie Wonder. What a nice group. Mostly. Yeah, I'm pretty, mostly. I'm pretty down with that. Mm-hmm. I have nothing to report about birds this time. Bummer. You couldn't figure I could not, out. I couldn't tie birds into this. So I think. I think you just need a bird fact for every. My run of bird talk ended last segment with the falcons. Damn. Damn. It's not to say I'll never return to birds, but no birds this time. Your first love. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hate birds. All right. Well, if you love Harpy Hour, which I'm sure you did, you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in. Wherever you listen, please rate us and leave a review about how much you love us. A good review. Yes. <laughs> Also, if you have stories you think we might like to share on our show, or you just want to say hello because you think we're awesome and you want to get to know us, we want to get to know you guys, uh, you can email us at harpyhourpodcast at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at harpyhourpod. We are also on Patreon, so if you have some extra money lying around that you want to give to us, which you should, empty that piggy bank, give it to us. Or if you just want to make some poor financial decisions, then consider donating to us to keep us on the air. Thanks for listening. Okay, okay bye. 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 Losers. Uh. Ugh. <laughs>